Hey guys, welcome back. Chris Bercher, this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 113, Suffering and Technology. Still working on the acid test, but I mean, I think the whole series of Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom has now just become this test of how we can use nature to assess human performance uh, status in the planet and, and, and think about where we're going and, and maybe how we want to change that or whether we want to change that. Talked a lot about um, competition and, and sort of uh, human, the, the health of the planet. And, and, and uh, if we consider humans sort of in the context of ecology and the universe as the system that we're in, how, how, how are things working? Climate change and, uh, you know, are we damaging the planet? Are we, are we, are we going to be able to live on Mars? Are we going to be able to be, you know, enter this artificial intelligence mode where technology, we become technology and it ends up being like the movie WALL-E. Uh, where, where are we going? What's the end game? And, and is it too late? Or I don't, I don't think it's too late. Or what, what can we do about it now? Uh, if anything. And so I talked about competition and cooperation and vulnerability and today I want to sort of draw on my understanding of Buddhism, which I keep falling back on as being the most sensible belief system that that I identify with uh, in the world, not, not as a religion per se, and not necessarily with the tenets that are specific to Buddhism, but just the ideas that there is suffering in the world. It isn't, it isn't perfect to be a human. There is no perpetual happiness. And so life becomes about how you deal with that uh, and that there are ways to deal with that, to make life as good as possible. And then sort of the whole acid test thing is how can we look beyond Buddhism to just sort of nature and the patterns of species that have existed and still exist and sort of the, the interactions of the system of the universe to inform how we best deal with that suffering. And, um, as a, as a species, as a planet, as a world, as a universe, Instead of just thinking about meditating, you know, as an individual person, sort of this overlap of a human as a selfish individual and a human as a communal individual. And more than once, <laughs> I have mentioned the idea that there are kind of two schools of thoughts when it comes to technology. There are the winners of the technological races, the Bill Gateses and the Elon Musks and the Steve Jobs and... Um, that have the technology and are benefiting from it the most. And arguably, don't we all kind of benefit from having a cell phone? Whereas 20 years ago, we had to pull the thing off the wall in order to talk. And, you know, GPS wasn't even a thing. We had to get our maps out. I mean, wouldn't you argue that being able to heat our homes is better than being cold all the time? So certainly there are elements of technology that are good, but there are what I've referred to as the technologists who think that all of any, the solutions to any problems we might have, like climate change or depression or uh, violence or war, there's a technological solution. And that the purpose of people, and this goes like up to the acid test, like what nature has designed humans to do is to use our brains to create stuff. And that that stuff is going to be our lives this in, forever. And that's the path run. Now, I'm from the school of thought that thinks, you know, a lot's changed in 200 years, maybe 1,000 years. Not much changed in the first 190,000 years, 290,000 years, relatively speaking. The rate of change was much different. Let's Can we look back maybe to what was going on then? What did we change? What have we sacrificed? And that's a big part of this, right? Like, what price do we pay? 
if you look at um, the energy reserves of the planet right now, many people will say that we've sort of we've we've sort of spent the interest that we've made on our energy reserves, like oil. And that what now we're sort of cutting into the principal, which means we got less money in the bank every year. And uh, the interesting, wherever we are on that, we're going to run out of energy because the rate at which we use it, which is increasing, is higher than the rate at which it's re- being created, right? So the, somewhere down the line, it may be 10 years, it may be 100 years, it may be 5,000 years, maybe 100,000 years. I don't think it's going to be that long. We're going we're gonna to outspend. We're going to go broke. We're not going to have any energy left. And then this is what Nate Hagens calls uh, the great simplification. It's going to introduce a time where we no longer have the energy reserves to do the stuff we've been doing, like heat our homes or feed ourselves or buy iPhones or drive Lexuses. Uh, and so that we're going to have to simplify our lives based on these energy reductions, which I just I think makes a whole lot of sense. Now, the when and the whether or not we should get dramatic about it, I don't even – that's for a future episode of discussion. Um. But that there, there necessarily uh, was waste. That's the point I want to make here. The, the price of technology is not how much we can sell it for. And I think that's what most people have been looking at. And this is what Nate calls energy blindness. For all the cars that we built, for all the technology we've created to build our houses and heat our houses and even like healthcare and the 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 vaccines that we've created and the capacity to make money and to elevate our lives and all these things we look at the cost we have traditionally looked at the cost of those things as being literal dollar costs so if we had to do 10 million dollars worth of research to come up with the vaccine to polio well maybe that's not a great idea but then the vaccine to polio you know, minus whatever government funding was in there, or maybe it was paid for by the taxpayers and it saves everybody and then there's no more cost. Maybe we decided that that's a, a good thing. That's not a good example. Let's say uh, the iPhone. All the R&D that went into building an iPhone was more than covered by the sales of the iPhones, right? And so we consider that to be a good investment because we made money on it. Not only has the technology improved our lives, but it got made people rich. But what we don't see in that monetary cost is how much oil was burned uh, to, to, to heat the buildings that the people were in, uh, to, to print the money, to circulate, to, 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 to run the internet. You know, and, and, and not only just the amount of oil that we extracted and burned to do that, but the waste heat that went into the atmosphere. And that's not just for the iPhone. That's for everything we've ever done, <laughs> right? From building the railroads to, I mean, all of it. It used to just be literally measured by human labor. And we didn't consider the cost of the deforestation that we did from chopping a tree down with an ax. Now, maybe that seems more direct, but we still weren't account with The accounting was incomplete. And all that sort of added up behind the scenes to result in what's going to become an energy shortage. Now, a couple things are important there is that one, I don't, if we had known that we were burning through a limited reserve because we assumed it was unlimited, infinite, and never could possibly use it all. And God damn it. It's our God given right to do it. So who cares if we had known that it was that limited, would we have been more careful with it? You know, right. I mean, don't you think like, 
you know, even if you've played a video game and you collect like three energy points and you're like, sweet, and you burn them real quick doing some dumb stuff at the beginning of the game, but you didn't realize that you were only ever going to get five of those throughout the whole game and you still got two more hours to play. And you're going to really need those things later because you're going to be up against some big bosses that you can't beat without them. But you're going to have a whole lot of regrets. And I think we're going to have a whole lot of regrets. When you think about the efficiency of burning oil and producing that iPhone, you know, it's less than half. So more than half of it was just wasted. And not only wasted, but creates a byproduct that is potentially damaging and contributing to something like global warming and climate change. So not only are we not, we thinking this stuff is infinite and, and wasting it, we're creating problems while we're doing it. So again... Would we have done it differently if we had only known? In 5,000 years, we're going to look back and go, what? They, what did they have to show for that? They burned all the old phytoplankton, all that old sun energy that was captured and stored deep down in the earth for whatever uses it could have been used for. They just ripped through it, and all we got is iPhones and railroads and jet planes. I mean, there are many scenarios where... We're idiots, right? And we're going to have regrets, and other people might look at that. But we, but, but, but we couldn't possibly have known. Uh, but that's an important part of this technological puzzle that the technologists don't talk about or don't consider or maybe don't even believe in. Um, one element of technology we don't often discuss, but, but this kind of the biggest reward is, is healthcare and our, our lifespan, right? I mean, so it's hard to argue that technology is bad when you look at things like curing disease, uh, vaccinations, washing our hands, sanitation. I mean, the degree to which, like, okay, the traditional argument is sort of like, oh, you don't like technology, so you want to go back 500 years ago and live where there's poop in the streets and you're dying of cholera and, you know, all these problems in healthcare. We know we die from food poisoning and no, though that some of these things are good. There are some things that are arguably good, but just like we forget to track the energy use, we also don't track the downside. Easy example of the downside of technology is we have these iPhones. They're great. We have a map and an iPod player and a telephone and all this stuff in the palm of our hand wherever we go all the time. It's so good. It makes our lives so much easier, right? But it also has created this addiction to this phone that is a problem. I won't go into more detail, but suffice to say there are downsides to it. You know, technology has suffering. And so with healthcare, the suffering that we don't account for, again, besides all the energetic costs that we haven't accounted for, is the fact that have we really assessed whether living longer is a good thing? Yes, we don't die of as many things anymore. Yes, we live longer, although I think there's some data, at least in some parts of the U.S., that our lifespan is actually getting shorter. Uh, We know that smoking kills us. We eat a better diet. We exercise. But to what degree have we figured out how to maintain the quality of life in those years that we've bought ourselves? So we used to live to be 76. Okay. Now we live to be 86. What's going on from 76 to 86? Is it all rainbows and unicorns? I see a lot of it that isn't, with my own parents as an example. We don't really know what to do with old people. In the United States, they're not respected. We hide them away in homes. Sure, there are people out there who are living 
good lives. And in an episode 112, I talked about some of those people um, that at 80 years old, 90 years old are doing, you know, seemingly still doing things that jazz them up and, and make life worth living. They really appreciate their later years, but there's a lot of people out there that probably didn't need to live that long or weren't prepared to live that long. Maybe that's the big part of it. We haven't put in, we don't have the supporting machinery. Technology has created the scenario where we can live longer, but the quality of those years may not be that good because we really haven't built in the new systems to account for them. For one thing, it increases the population on the planet because those people before would have died and wouldn't contribute to the population, but we haven't accounted for the, we're terrible accountants, <laughs> right? And so the suffering that happens associated with technology may not be alleviated to the degree to which we say it is because of this lack of accounting, like energy blindness and like with whether or not we live a quality life in the years that we now live, that we didn't live before. We, without, how can you say technology is good if you haven't done the math? Or if you're doing biased, erroneous math and only looking at this one subset, you have to consider the whole package. And so I'll make this argument to sort of get to the meat of what I really wanted to talk about today or, 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 or throw out there today is that, you know, I think, and this has probably come out my belief system, that humans and primates maybe, or hominids, as part of our evolution from the primates, what that was all about is this movement toward cooperation and away from competition to become more communal, to to sort of realize and appreciate the connectedness of all of us in order to maintain and protect our genes. Because fundamentally, I believe that genes want to live forever and so have been designed, evolved, however you want to look at it, to perpetuate life. And so why would we as individuals, as groups, as a species, not also behave in a way that perpetuates life? And and similarly, oppositely, I'm not sure, why would natural selection not select for preservative, conservative behaviors, attitudes, mechanisms, thoughts, whatever, that would also feed back into this mechanism to perpetuate life, right? I mean, it's got to be one of the top three fundamental reasons, purposes for life. It wants to persist and it doesn't, none of us, nothing lives forever. And so we have this mechanism to ensure that we persist. And also DNA induces the capacity to change with the changing environment which is awesome. So it's like all that seems to be screaming life through time. And so I also think that cooperation screams life through time in a way better, more derived, successful, more fit, more potential to be selected for a way than competition. And so I think this is a huge leap here, but I think we may, one of the first erroneous decisions we make we made was to focus on selfish love versus communal love and i'm not really sure how to illustrate this except to maybe use an example of the original 
researchers who are trying to develop the technologies to solve our health problems, let's say, the microbiologists, the people that were working on ways to cure diseases or figure out that you needed to wash your hands so that your patients didn't die and that we needed to treat wastewater. You know, there was an element, and I can say this because I was a scientist and I sort of feel like I have the credibility to say this, there's an element of selfishness in this, 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 this discovery, right? I think there was an arms race, if you will, to be the first individual to figure these things out, right? Of course there is. There's, there's, there's that competitive, I would argue, ancestral quality inherent to being human that makes it really difficult to be altruistic, right? And so that created... Uh, a scenario where, and it's most like that chicken, big chicken and the big egg example from last week, uh, where competitive selfishness was favored in an artificial environment that involved money and promotion and status. The scientific researcher that selfishly pursued the goal was going to win over the, the more altruistic because they were going to get there faster. They were going to make more sacrifices. I mean, that's if you want to solve a problem and you've got a really smart person, sometimes you just got to let that person stomp all over everybody else and they're going to get to that solution really quick. But that, And you may get the solution, but at what cost? How much oil did you burn in the process? How many bridges did you burn in the process, right? So I think I think that's the sort of situation. And we made this shift, whereas before there were no... There weren't selective forces or pressures to win the arms race, right? Because you were trying to solve problems for the community. And there was no reward for for getting it done faster. Nobody was going to give you a promotion or pay you more or give you the Nobel Prize or worship the ground you walk on or give you in some way status, money, or power because those things weren't really things. And so when those came into well, and and they've been parts to some degree. Status, money, and power have been parts of animals' lives for millions of years. But I think at some point, with our new human brains and our capacity to burn oil and 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 make all this technology, we also developed, chose to develop, almost like a micro ecosystem. That was ruled by status, money, and power. And those things, you know, became 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 a race to be at the top of that ladder, not realizing that those things didn't really apply <laughs> to the original goals of life of, of you know perpetuating and potentially potentially reducing suffering. So there's these hidden costs to technology that in the end, I don't think it's a hard argument to make that in our advanced world our more derived world of today compared to 500 years ago where we have all of these amazing technologies, would you, could you do an analysis that added up all the, the turmoil and tribulations and health problems and you know filth and discomfort of 500 years ago, add all that bad stuff up and then measure that against whatever quality of life those people had and then do the same thing in today's era. Add up all the benefits and wonderful things we have from these technologies, the lack of that health, sanitation, disease problem, but also add in the new factor of the suffering that's 
been perpetuated or created even by these technologies. Who who comes out higher? Like, what's the balance? We've never done that. You know, all we do is we sort of say we have this happiness test that started in the 30s, and we can sort of say that people are happier when they have more money, and we don't really know. We can't do that analysis. And I'm just throwing out the idea that rather than assume that the technology has been this universal benefit to man, to humankind, because there was this universal suffering 500 years ago or whenever, and that that benefit is greater than that suffering, and our suffering now is less because of it. We don't really know. And all I'm saying is, what if that's not true? What if we suffered less despite these discomforts that we had uh, 500 to 300, 500 years to 300,000 years ago? And that what we have today is actually worse. Did you ever stop and think about that? We should. It's just as realistic a hypothesis. We don't have any evidence in support of either one. So we ought to be starting from that sort of a position rather than sort of saying, well, yeah, surely technology is a win. I'm just trying to say maybe it isn't. And that, uh, and I would also argue that we pivoted at some point. I always ask, what happened? What happened when you compare 50,000 years ago hominids to today's hominids? One of the things that happened is this shift from a more of a self-directed, egotistical love, I will argue, we love ourselves, um, and, and, a, and, a, and a departure from love being directed more at our species instead of our more altruistic. And I think that's sort of the break that uh, we pointed out uh, last week. And use whatever terms you want. I don't like the word altruism. I don't really like the word love, but but I think... The awareness. Let's let's use that. Or, or, or at some point, I think in the in the technological revolution in the last five hundred years, individuals have shifted more towards their awareness, more towards their own individuality, and away from the communal level, the species level, and that that shift has both created solutions to our problems, but it's also created new problems, and that. We need to really think about those the the balance of the benefits and the problems, the cost benefit analysis, uh, and today versus yesterday, and of course where that takes us, and whether or not we want to get off this boat <laughs> while it sinks, rather than rearrange the deck furniture, so to speak. Okay, that's a little bit about technology and a little bit less about suffering, but I hope I sort of made the point um, uh, that those two things might be related and that we can't, we can't be energy blind. We can't be suffering blind um, when it comes to rewarding uh, technology or, 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 or considering it the solution to all of our problems. So yeah, this has been Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, episode 113, Suffering and Technology. I'm Chris Bercher. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.